And Kobus Porchita from Southern Cross Capital joins us now with his analysis of what's playing itself out on the market scene. Kobus, it's always a pleasure and a good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Alessandro. Thank you for having me. All right, Kobus, what a week it's been. Uh, BRICS happening, uh, SACPI, PMI is coming out of the EU and the UK. Uh, you know, let's just talk about all the market drivers from this week. Oh, there's too many to mention. Uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, mm. uh, we've got weakness in China. Mm. We've got uh, Jackson Hole happening uh, as we speak. Um, so I suppose the market is looking looking for uh, looking for guidance from from Powell um, in terms of whether or not we're going to see this pause. How aggressively they're going to be they're going uh, to be cutting, if any. Whether or not they were going to do one more hike, um, mm. so so there's quite a there's quite a monetary theme, and I think uh, something which is priced in a more stable fashion, a more predictable fashion, uh, are the bonds. So mm. across the board, we've seen the local bonds narrow quite a bit. So it seems that um, uh, maybe the bond market, at the very least, is taking a more convicted view of uh, of the direction the world is taking. Are the recession, but certainly uh, certainly a more accommodative uh, monetary environment. Uh, unfortunately, uh, equities has been trickier, and that's been driven largely by what we've seen from China. Uh, the continued pressure we've seen the developers are under there, uh, the attempted stimulus and subsequent rally um, uh, from, a, from a regulatory change that was announced overnight. Half of that rally was wiped out before that market closed. So uh, it continues to be a difficult environment um, uh, you know, to uh, for the market to to find a direction after what you know can only be described as a turbulent August. It's also interesting. Uh, you know, we have seen this week is a downgrade of some U.S. regional banks. Equivalents. Uh for you, you know, is this now uh, you know rating agencies being more proactive about what could happen with interest rates in the United States as opposed to what was happening earlier this year, where we were kind of uh, seeing all those banks uh, go into uh, go down, and we were kind of caught with our pants down, weren't we? Yes, yes. Uh, so, I, I mean, uh, uh, there's sort of a rule in in uh, ratings agencies that, uh, you know, the banks in a given sovereign can't have a better rating than the sovereign. Mm -hmm. So when you downgrade the sovereign, uh, you've got to downgrade the banks in tandem. Um, so, so there's a bit of that going on. But at the same time, uh, look, I'm, I'm not one of those people, even though... Uh, I believe that the ratings downgrade of the U.S. sovereign is somewhat futile. Mm. Um, from an academic perspective, I absolutely agree that it was the correct decision. And it's more than just the interest rate environment. It's, it's, it's the fiscal situation going out of control. It's the lack of partisan cooperation at a political level, which means they don't have, you know, uh, budgets, really. Um, China, authoritarian and centralized control, though it may be, uh, has a five-year plan every five years, and they stick to that sort of fiscal framework because everything is a negotiated compromise in U.S. politics at the moment. It's very hard for them to find a functional fiscal framework, and then we head into this ridiculous debt ceiling situation mm -hmm. every couple of years. So from that perspective, um, you know, that risk is, is appropriate. It's appropriate to, to try and price that, to try and draw attention to that and, uh, um, and downgrade the U.S., frankly. From that perspective, the banking situation that is like a bit of both. Mm -hmm. So that's that's certainly them being more proactive, and as you've rightly pointed out, 
given these factors, in addition to the higher high interest rate environments and some of these banks that have behaved as if these low interest rate environments would persist indefinitely mm -hmm. and have made their books unsustainable on that basis, certainly deserve to be downgraded. But this was certainly not a shock to the market on any level. Uh, staying in the United States, I just want to get your thoughts uh, on NVIDIA here. They've moved uh, to buy back $25 billion worth of shares. This surprised investors considering that they really shot the light out in the second quarter. We've seen that stock ready to really fantastic heights. Keen to get your thoughts here. Are you as surprised about the buyback, Kovas? That's absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, you mean to return capital. Management have, an, have, a, have a responsibility to allocate capital as efficiently as possible. Their flagship product is making a gross profit margin of a thousand percent at the moment. They can't make them quick enough. What you need to be doing, assuming you know it's raining at the moment, so you've got to, you've got, you, you've got to, got, got to exploit the opportunity, mm -hmm. and ultimately their pipeline of fabs is going to be more important to invest in to uh, uh, than returning capital at this incredible incredibly high level and it just goes to show you know like people management teams and, and i think often the cfos in these developed markets mm. are playing again you know where they want to signal to the market certain intentions they want to signal to the market confidence because they've grown accustomed to being rewarded for that kind of thing mm. companies that announce share buybacks um, we typically get better ratings from that in the short term, which is really ridiculous short term management because frankly from from a shareholder's perspective i'm better off you know you guys are printing money at the moment, print the money faster mm. don't go spending it on your on the inflated valuation mm. and, and frankly, as a shareholder you know i I would be questioning this because despite those super profits they're making at the moment, they still haven't grown into that ridiculous valuation. The stock is still incredibly expensive. And from that perspective, you know, adding to what could be considered a bubble in the share price by doing share buybacks at this very elevated level, buying those earnings at this very, very expensive level. You know, I would rather buy earnings by investing into my supply chain mm. and providing more of my product, which is selling like hotcakes at very inflated values at the moment, versus buying it in the stock where I'm paying a multiple of 60. So my return on that is, is less than 2% versus the 1,000% I make on my product. So from that perspective, you know, I think it's a ridiculous move. Mm -hmm. And again, they're trying to signal something to the market, but it's a very, very costly way to be signaling at uh, $25 billion, one yeah. of the largest buybacks um, in the U.S. at the moment. Wow, absolutely incredible uh, developments there. Let's talk about uh, Heineken. They've gone on to uh, sell off their Russian assets finally for all of 20 Rand. Of course, uh, this is expected, right? Those assets are virtually worth nothing at this point. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, I think it was, I mean, it was anticipated and, and they're not the first nor last business to, uh, um, to go through this, uh, through the effect, what effectively amounts to a complete write off of their Russian assets. Mm -hmm. At this stage, we are still optimistic about a couple of South African names realizing some value from their, uh, from their, uh, uh, Russian holdings. Um, and of course, I guess being geopolitically positioned somewhat more neutral, there is a bit of, bit of hope for them. But for, for those European and American businesses, it, it effectively became a, a complete write down of value, which is, uh, which is somewhat devastating.
Before I let you go, we don't have much time. We'll head to your stock pick in a bit. I must ask you about Talcom. The shareholders have shrugged off uh, that attempt by the former CEO, um, and he's uh, a small conglomerate to acquire there. Uh, it did go from the board to shareholders, finally shrugged off. So definitely no deal here, Kobus. Uh, I'm just keen to get your thoughts. No, it was somewhat opportunistic, to be honest. So I'm happy that they took that view. Mm. And Telcom is frankly trading at such an incredible discount um, to to tangible net asset value that you know it doesn't really it, it doesn't really add up. Mm-hmm. So so from that perspective, it was almost it was almost a non-event. However, uh, we do need some kind of catalyst uh, uh, to fix this business. But at the same time, I don't. Uh, uh, I don't resent former CEO, nor Rain, nor anyone else trying to to get in and, and get what is clearly a distressed asset for very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice opportunity for anyone, you know, because if you could get your hands on those assets and maybe get around some of the competition issues, um, you know, that's part of the problem. They have mm. these enormously valuable assets which they can't really exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be far more valuable in the hands of a Vodacom or an MTN, but the Competition Commission might take issue with them selling those assets to a Vodacom or, or an MTN. But maybe with some sort of some sort of clever restructure or maybe doing a deal based on the how, how distressed the business is, you could un- unlock that value. Mm-hmm. But again, Telcom is trading at a fraction of what it's worth. That's just that's just the way it is. But we know the way that sort of you know balance sheet stress can can destroy value even for attractive underlying businesses edcon being the best example we've ever seen of that Absolutely. Well, let's uh, get your stock pick in a bit but first let's reflect on some of the counters that have found favor with your industry peers so Glencore, which seems ironic given the conversations we've been having but uh, you know for me it's very much price action um, most stocks have halved. Glencore's only down about 20% off its highs, and, and it's largely because of of the exposure to what it's got. Copper, big chunk of its earnings. There is a there's a copper deficit at the moment. There's def- for this year and possibly next year as well. Uh, and Glencore pride themselves a large portion of their revenues derived from actual trading, actual commodity trading. Yeah. And this volatility suits them perfectly. So uh, you know, around about 100, 101 rand a share. I think it's a good play. I think I'll go for a, a more locally exposed name in, in Nedcare, one of the hospital uh, companies. I think, uh, you know, the earnings recovery post-COVID um, continues. We're seeing increased occupancies still coming through. Uh, you know, the CapEx kind of spend is now kind of coming to an end and the digitization that they've done is, is, is what they've been spending the money on. And that should, should uh, provide some benefit. But perhaps more importantly, once all the CapEx is done, you get uh, an opportunity to get some cash returns to shareholders. Uh, the valuation is cheap at a 10 times PE, which is a discount to um, its its history. Um, yeah, so I think that case is a good play. There's a bit of, of an uh, of an NHI overhang, but that's a more longer term story. Yeah, okay. uh, I think the recovery is still in place. We're going with Delta Airlines today. Um, you know, the trend for international travel has been slower to recover after COVID. Um, compared to domestic travel, we like the airline. They own their own refining business. Um, and so their input costs can be controlled through this company, Monroe Energy. It gives them operating advantage, I would say. Um, they generally uh, generate more revenue per seat than their peers. And we do think that this um, that Asia travel is going to pick up. And so we're hoping that that will be the catalyst for a higher share. Um, the PE ratios, not that exciting, but... But we do see maybe a 40, at least 40% upside for the next year.
Alright, Kwebis Glencore, uh, Netcare and Delta Airlines, keen to get your thoughts on some of these counters. Yo. So, uh, I'll re- one of them I would call a controversial call. Mm. Um, Glencore, Netcare, not so much. Mm-hmm. Glencore, I agree with the thesis. I have it in my own portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, the trading business is, of course, uh, one of the very attractive components. And, of course, given that they have this mix of energy and, and uh, uh, metal assets, and specifically, I guess, that exposure you're getting to both, call it the new, the new economy, um, plus the uh, plus the the old fossil fuel assets, it makes it a nice asset to have. Mm-hmm. And having no real ESG policy, I am um, I'm quite happy to hold Glencore. Mm-hmm. And at the current valuation, frankly, it is quite attractively valued. So it is pos- probably a good time to add it. Netcare very cheap relative to its peers. Had some headwinds. Yes, NHR is a bit of a threat. One which I believe is is um, is overblown. When comparing it to its one local listed peer, Life, we have to keep in mind that Life has this bid premium for Allianz in it at the moment. So stripping that out, it might not be as as egregious. However, relative to global peers, it is very cheap. Now, I agree that we are seeing those uh, those elective procedures picking up, and in all likelihood, we'll see some level of normalization in that industry. Netcare being a very cheap entry point at the moment is quite attractive. It doesn't have those sort of hyster- historical elbow trusses hanging around its neck in, in the form of uh, uh, the UK operation anymore. So uh, I-, I like both of those picks. Let's get your a stock pick. My pick is NetBank. Oh. Uh, we had some bad results. Well, I mean, negative results, uh, which saw a sell-off. And ultimately, it's really back about half of those losses. Yesterday, we saw that as part of the Robosis, um, uh, the Robosis wind-up process, NetBank, of course, being massively exposed, having provision for that, they got around $7 billion for the repossessed assets with another tier of, uh, of assets still needing to be repossessed and, uh, uh, and sold off. But that recovery is very positive. $7 billion rand is large in their lives. So that eliminates quite a bit of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And we anticipate that given the, the sort of uh, endowment and, uh, and base effect h2 is going to be a much better result and this currently suppressed share price makes for a nice entry point into the stock at a high yield and an attractive valuation wonderful globus always a pleasure wrapping up the week with you thank you so much for your time uh, this afternoon that was your midday market update with globus from southern cross capital